and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Ethan Huffman, and today I'm joined by Elkin Beltry. Elkin, it's good to see you as always. We are here looking about, you know, somewhere between five for everyone and seven for some games into the regular season, and the NBA is officially off, and we are happy that it's back. Elkin, how are you experiencing this early season? I'm enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad basketball's back. I've been enjoying watching professional basketball players do their thing. And I was telling you beforehand during our our uh, prep, which took us, I think, like 45 minutes because we were just talking hoops at one point. I don't even think we were doing much planning. But I've been enjoying just watching like all this parody, teams that you expected to be lower, going a little bit middle of the pack, higher, teams expected to be higher, being lower. And I'm just like, I love it because you actually see like everyone's just like, all right, we're going to throw out a team. And what do you know? These teams are solid. So I've been enjoying this basketball season. Yeah, you know, shout out to Ethan for a preseason prediction that everyone was going to be trying. Um, and, you know, I feel like I'm a little vindicated by that because the teams who are who were scheduled to have tanking, the Orlando's, Detroit, Houston, three of those are the only three that are actually succeeding in their task of tanking. If Brooklyn, the Lakers, and Sacramento were tanking before the season, they definitely hid their hand well, considering the Lakers do not even have um, full rights to their pick. So with that in mind, Elkin, I think it's time as we are reacting to previous pods, we're reacting to this NBA season, we're going to kind of pull out a classic where we, we have our overreactions pod for uh, early season successes or failures. And why don't you get us kicked off here with uh, with one of yours? All right, I'll go with my first overreaction, which may not even be much overreaction as we go along the season, that both Lakers and Nets are not making the playoffs. I'm talking about not even playing. Not being a playoff. So right now as it stands, Lakers, only winless team in the NBA at zero and five. Brooklyn, currently one and five, just lost to the Indiana Pacers last night, by the way, who were coming off back to back. And right now, Lakers, what I see from them, just horrible offensive team. And you and I can dive a little bit deeper into that. Defensively, they're solid though. That's the funny thing. Like whereas some people made fun of like this team has no defensive effort, like in the past previous years with LeBron, you're kind of just like, oh, they're solid and stats prove it and brooklyn has just been like defensively they've been very 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 bad defensively and i feel like with brooklyn the struggles go even deeper i mean you got your point guard just saying outlandish stuff you have your forward who came in a trade who still trying to figure out a few things but doesn't look good when you have the point guard telling him to shoot the ball and he's kind of just like not doing it and you got you're wasting valuable years of Kevin Durant I feel like Kevin Durant's a guy you could probably get like what three or like two or three more solid years out of him because of just like his size and skill set and I feel like you're wasting it and these are just teams that these large market teams are just not working that's that's where I see it I don't see I'll be honest though I can see Brooklyn turning it around a little bit and making it like play in or playoffs but Lakers right now Ethan I'm just like Unless something drastically changed as far as a trade, I'm not seeing any anything, which kind of stinks because, as you mentioned, Pelicans have their first round draft pick this upcoming draft. Yeah, I can't remember if it's swap rights. I think that's the case for this one. So theoretically, the Lakers were planning on making the playoffs slightly ahead of the Pelicans. So, you know, the Pelicans would just keep their own and stay where they're at. But yeah, frustration for the Lakers, no doubt, especially if they are looking lottery bound. Um, losing a lottery pick is not the way these Anthony Davis trades, these uh, Kawhi Leonard trades are supposed to go. You are supposed to be losing um, 20 
the 20th pick or later in those trades. Yeah, man, the Lakers are bad. Brooklyn's bad. Like, I have a lot more faith that Brooklyn can turn it around in theory because, like, I, I just look at the talent of players. Obviously, Kyrie says the dumbest things, but he is still a talented basketball player. Um, Kevin Durant is great, and you said three more years of production. Like, it just depends on what your your gauge is. Because, like, right now, Kevin Durant's having a slightly down three-point percentage year, which that's just going to – that's going to come right back around. Like, that's not going to be persistent. But Kevin Durant can play in this league as a power forward that's like a catch and shoot. Like, if he wants it, he could have a Rashard Lewis-like stage of his career where he just catch and shoots threes and still probably scores 20-some-odd points per game. Like, that's 100% in the cards. And keep in mind, that was Rashard Lewis's near peak when he was just catching and shooting in Orlando. Um, obviously, we, we won't forget the Seattle days, but... Like those days were a, a, probably a two-year run where he was actually a really versatile scorer. Regardless, um, Kevin Durant still has that waiting for him if he so chooses. Not to mention the obvious um, superstar he still currently is, I believe, averaging 32 points per game. So, you're right. The Lakers without a trade, I don't I don't see their, their transition to anything remotely healthy. Yeah, and like the trades we heard is the obvious Pacers one with Buddy Hill, Miles Turner, and trading away Westbrook and two first round picks. And then now I've been hearing the Jazz trying to get, I believe, Conley, Clarkson, and I feel like there was a third piece. Was it Rudy Gay? I've been hearing Rudy Gay. Am I? Yes, Rudy Gay was, was part of that. Which I'm thinking is to make salary work if they're trading Westbrook, if they're saying the amount has to be not to make it work. But I think like the way, like if I'm the Lakers and I'm looking out east, Buddy Hill has been just making three-pointers after three-pointers. I think someone showed a stat that, like, he's pretty much almost made just as many three-pointers as the entire Lakers team combined. And Miles Turner, those of you who did not get to tune in to a fine primetime Friday night game of the Pacers, Miss Miles Turner, giving us a, hey, I'm still here. I'm going to get blocks. I can score, shoot some threes, and he's just showing out. But as we mentioned last pod, as we gave our award to the least valuable executive of the year, since, I think, honestly, since 2020, I have no idea what this executive is doing, one Rob Palenka. And I mean, I know we talk about these Lakers and Rob Palenka, but because it's just glaring to me how you have one executive who fell into a championship. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it, and I feel like fell into a championship, and then from there, like, messed up the pieces that he had. Like, till this day, Ethan, like, someone has to explain to me, why do you make the Westbrook trade? I understand that, like, the previous season – things didn't go as planned you lost to the Suns in the first round but part of me is like hey you had an Anthony Davis injury why don't you go ahead and keep your top defensive players shooters keep them there and then you just retool some smaller pieces and hope you can have healthier players because injuries happen we've seen that you and I have seen teams lose a championship or a playoff run because injuries happen that season that sucks I mean we saw the Warriors trying to rebuild Steph got injured they were just having trouble in one championship but I honestly don't care, though, if they win. They have plenty of championships. They got one. But please, if they get the Pelicans the first pick overall, the NBA world is going to pay for that. I'm saying it right now. Yeah, that would be as much as as interesting as that lineup would be. Zion Williamson and Victor Wimbanyama. That would certainly, um, whew, that could be a dangerous, a dangerous situation for the weight of that kind of pressure being in the city of new Orleans, it's already underwater. I'd, I'd hate to see what would happen with that much weight. 
Um, yeah, that's that's enough for the Lakers. I think we'll we'll go on to one of my uh, overreactions, and I'm I'm gonna say the Portland Trailblazers are gonna be a home court advantage team. Um, they are, you know, five and one. They only lose to the Heat, and as we know, when I go to a Heat game, the Heat don't lose. If I'm mistaken, I, I apologize, but I've lived in Portland for five years. I think four of which, or maybe this is my sixth year, and it would be five of which the Heat have come to the Moda Center, and I have went to the game, and I'm pretty sure they have not lost. And also the Pacer game I went to with Elkin years ago, the Heat also won that game. So with that being said. Unless Ethan's in attendance and the Heat are playing the Blazers, the Blazers do not lose. So I just want to kind of go into what is what is propelling them currently. And it's as simple as this, Elkin. Right now, they are ranked 10th in offense. And if you swap it over to opponent stats, they are ranked 10th in defense. Now, this is a one game away from them being 12th in offense and, and 12th in defense. And those numbers being very easy to manipulate and move as, you know, people are playing two games this week, four into the next, right? But the thing about the Blazers is they have not sniffed a top-half defense um, during the entire Terry Stotts era, except for one year, and I believe that was the year they made it to the conference finals. The With that being said, this is year two of the Billups uh, tenure. They were bad at defense last year, obviously mostly a tanking season with Damian Lillard's early injury. But if the Blazers have a defense that puts them in con- position to win games, which currently speaking with Josh Hart as a little bit of a ball dog, Jeremy Grant, his versatility, Justice Winslow closed the game at the five um, to start the season off. There is just a lot of versatility this team has not had that also um, is complemented by those players having offensive roles. For as bad as Winslow is at shooting, um, he can provide you some secondary ball handling. Jeremy Grant, obviously, we know is a solid isolation scorer. Josh Hart, three and D, um, just slightly like lower quality than like a premium guy like a Mikel Bridges. Either way, this team is a great offense so far to start the year, which is not a surprise. But the defense being top ten is despite it being a little bit of a statistical anomaly for how small the sample size is, we have to be excited about the Blazers um, not being bad at defense. Yeah, I mean, and kind of just watching this, I know we kind of made fun of the, for me at least, I kind of made fun of like, oh, the Blazers, are they really trying to keep Damian Lillard really trying to be competitive? But like the team that they have, I think they're constructing it the right way. Uh, I think you kind of mentioned that it was time for them to move on with CJ McCollum. Like, he can't have those two guys in the backcourt forever and succeed. And, of course, you're going to keep Dame Lillard, which, by the way, people were like, how's he going to be coming off that that injury from last year? And at first it was kind of rusty. And then he was like, hey, guys, here's some here's a 40-point game. Kind of remind you that I'm still here. I'm still doing my thing. Can kind of go off. And it was an efficient 40-point game as well. It wasn't just like Jimmy just get like 35, 40 shots up and then get lucky. No, it was very efficient. So I'm just like – all right, he's doing his thing, but, like, their offense is just humming, man. And, like, even when Dame was out, like, I was like, let me watch clips of this game. Like, I got to see what's going on with Dame Lillard being out. And I'm like, the team, I think, like, they're putting pieces, like, I don't like the term saying basketball players, but they're putting pieces that complement each other well and play well with each other as far as, like, what I've seen. And I think they're keeping it like they're playing it smart. They're add, they add some guys to play defense. You're going to get guys who can shoot threes. You have guys who can carry the offense when Lillard isn't there. And I'm like, 
they're heading in the right direction. I'll definitely say that about them. Yeah, they just have the right guys taking the right shots at this stage. Like, Justice Winslow's currently, in his five games, taking almost two threes a game. He's shooting 33%, which is not bad for one Justice Winslow. But, like, they have Dame taking 10 threes a game. He's shooting 39. Jimmy Grant's taking four. He's shooting 40. Anthony Simons is shooting uh, 9.8, and he's shooting 37. Like, when you're taking that many, taking nine, 37 is not even a bad percentage because you're just – Adding that point for all those possessions, you know, 37% of the time. Like, it's just, again, they have the right things going. And then the way they've implemented Shaden Sharp to start this year, like he's been asked to basically catch and shoot. And then sometimes he gets to do a little dribbling and create his own shot at the end of shot clocks. And he looks good. Like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say the Blazers have done it again just yet with another guard prospect. But Shaden Sharp looks to have have some of it, if as it were. And he, he made his first start. I believe he scored, you know, over 15 points in that start. I mean, he's averaging right now only nine points per game. But for a rookie that was didn't play any college ball last year, didn't play any, like, overtime elite or G League Ignite, that's something to keep an eye on. This guy is already reasserting himself as a NBA-ready player. And that's, that's kind of cool to see, um, specific, specifically because it's, you know, my hometown team, as it were. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, and of course, I'll say this: he is uh, one highlight machine. That man has trampoline like all around the court. Cause I just see him taking off, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, he is. Between him and Keon Johnson, there's a lot of bounce in the Portland man, <laughs> Portland arena. I was gonna say, I was just gonna mention, I I love having Keon Johnson as well for you guys. I was like, that for me is another solid guy that you have there. So I'm just like, like you have. I think right now you have a you have a good mixture of like even though currently like Dame Lillard is the, the oldest guy on the team which at 32 I'm just like I'll take it Dame still has some juice left in the tank but like the pieces you have around him I think you have a good combination of guys as far as age where like you see some teams sometimes they get too old and we've seen that happen or some teams are just like we got a lot of youth but you have no veteran leadership really guiding it and I think with this team like even when you have guys who aren't even in their 30s like for me, I consider like a Josh Hart, a Nurkic, and a Grant as being more like veteran leadership. Even though there are they're NBA veterans, but they're in their late 20s, you have a good solid foundation. And that's what I can see. Like that's what helps them win games when Dame isn't playing. Because then you have guys who can still keep the same system and have everybody still play their roles when your main guy is out. Yeah, and specifically with Hart and Grant, I, I find I, I find their veteran leadership so valuable because Josh Hart has been this, oh, this you know summer league MVP like oh, like hyped up. Actually, I, don't, I think Lonzo won it, but Josh Hart was killing it. Same difference. Um, Josh Hart had himself a summer. He might have won it the second year, though. Now, I, I feel like he won Summer League MVP. I know I, I know he had a solid second showing. Yeah. Look it up on your own time, listeners. Um, but, like, between him, honestly, even Justice Winslow and Jeremy Grant, they all have had different little phases of their career where they've been, like, hyped up as a young rookie-scale contract, but now, like, established as a veteran. You know, like Jeremy Grant was like a, a nobody playing for Philadelphia, wearing number 39, made his transition eventually to playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder and then for the Denver Nuggets, expanding his role even more to the Pistons. And now he's probably right back where he needs to be as a guy who can create, a guy who gets opportunities, but isn't the guy who runs the offense. Like having that like trajectory of his the career for Jeremy Grant is a very valuable thing in my mind for 
giving him autonomy in the offense, but also not he knows a role as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that, I mean, him, just like his development, for me in Detroit, he kind of showed like he's a guy who can carry an offense at spurts. Like he doesn't, if he's not your main scorer, but one of your other guys that feel like, do you have a solid team going on there? That, and that's one thing I've enjoyed with his development. Then him bringing along, like developing a three-point shot as his years have come by, I think that's been real valuable. So overall, I love you. I love you bringing that up. And I don't think it's going to be overreaction to see him as a top, a home seed team in the West. I do not think so. I'm going to say that right now. Perfect. Sounds great to me. All right, next one. I'll go to my next overreaction, my homer overreaction, Ben Matherin. The flamethrower of the East right now, averaging an astounding 21 points per game, exactly 21 points per game, shooting 43% from three-pointer at 6.3 attempts per game. Come on. I'll say this, Ethan. Hasn't started any games. Been playing about 28 minutes per game. From what I've seen of the guy, he's probably not going to be on the bench for too much longer. It may be because of trades that could happen in the near future. Or it could just be overall kind of just like let's decide to be act, not be active tankers, but let's play our young guys more. But I, I'm, I mean, I think when I saw him coming out of the draft, I felt like he's one of the guys whose game looked mature coming out of college that can make an immediate impact. Because I know there's some guys coming out, they're kind of like, oh, they might need some time to develop. And then when you develop, you're like, there, there's a potential. But he's a guy who I was like, man, I'm confident that from what I saw in Arizona, that he's going to come in and just be able to do what he does. And I'm very excited with the backcourt of him and Tyrese Halliburton. Those two guys, I think the Pacers have found their future backcourt. And that's exciting stuff, man. Because like, you got two guys who I think – um, they might be slightly below that, like, per, like perennial all-star type of people, but they're definitely those guys who, like, are I going to threaten an all-star team um, year in and year out. But, like, making it, might they might be just a skosh below with some of the flash. But a guy like Benedict Matherin, he's coming out here. And keep in mind, he's 20 years old. Like, same, like, this is, like, his 20-year, 20, 20-age 20 season on uh, basketball reference. But he was a two-year college player which is you know odd for like how young he still is so like when you're talking about a guy who could have developed like those skills just as skosh more than a lot of other 20 year olds like he was in college an extra year and i remember listening to sam bassini's pod um game theory not to plug in too much because listen to this but um yeah, he was always talking about how Benedict Matherin just had his steps counted out. Like, he got to the spots he needed to get to. He was ready to shoot as soon as that ball hit his hands. And those are things that we're seeing immediately in the NBA. He's already walking into jump shots. Um, he just knows where to be on the court. Like, the fluidity of his game is is just so easy to see. And then, obviously, we're looking at him shooting the percentages to go with it. Like, this guy has it so far, and I love it. I, I'm so happy for the Pacers to have two very exciting guards um, that you know I imagine will be there for a long time. Yeah, and I think for me, too, one of the things that I look at, because I, I think when you have guards coming in from college or just coming in their first few um, NBA years, I think it's you got to adjust to the speed of the NBA game. But uh, and I think a lot of it when I think speed is adjusting to decision making. I think that's a lot of times like because you're going to have guys who are athletic, 
you're probably going to be coming out of college or wherever. You're going to be death as athletic at these guys. The difference is veteran guys can make decisions quicker. And when you say like stepping into shots, like a lot of the highlights that I see from him or game footage, it's he's decided he's like, this is what I'm going to do with the ball before he gets it. Where you see some guys like take like, even if it's a half a second to decide what to do. But then in that half a second, it's like you had a wide open shot, not wide open anymore. Or you try driving through the lamp because you hesitated. A guy slid over, could take an offensive foul and get a charging foul called on you type of things. And I think one of the biggest things I see in rookies is decision-making. Even talking about, like, you have, like, a, I know we're not going to bring him up, but Paulo Banchero down in Orlando. I know Orlando's just like, hey, take the ball and do what you need to do. But he's still being very impressive because you have a 6'10 guy who's as fluid as him on the offensive end, but he's showing that, like, I can do what I need to do. And overall, not to yammer on too much about him, I think we're just going to – I think it's very sustainable, especially with the Pacers, like offensive shooting or offensive point production. I think a lot of it's going to come from their backcourt, maybe Heald, Halliburton, and Matherin. I think a lot of it's just going to rely on those guys, and I wouldn't be surprised if when we get done with the NBA season, he ends still averaging 20 points a game. Like that's something I can definitely see. Yeah. I mean, I remember specifically last year Chris Duarte got off to a pretty hot start, and he held it solidly. It wasn't as hot as this, but it was like – he was ready to play as well, and Benedict Matherin is just a, a step up, and even obviously more impressive because he's even younger. I'm just looking at it, man, like the the you know you, you the the bold take is rookie of the year, but when we're looking at the stats, like obviously there's some counting stats in Paolo's favor, but if you take one glance towards the efficiencies, like coming out of the guard position and like the quantity of threes taken, that 45% from the field does not look as as damning as the 46% from the field for the 6'10 guy. So like with all that being said, like it's going to, it could be a tight race, especially if the Pacers show a little bit more life and are like, maybe not quite the tanktastic team um, for a bulk of the season. Like I could still see them t- put, t- putting the brakes on and, and not winning games for like lose 20 in a row to close. With that being said, like the Pacers have shown true NBA competency to start the season. That's what I mean. Exactly. That's what I love to see now. Let's switch it back over to you. I know you got another lovely overreaction. I'm, I'm ready to hear this one, discuss this one with you. The New Orleans Pelicans have the best offense in basketball. And I'm I'm going to continue down this path by just breaking out some stats. They're currently ranked number one, so I guess not no, not a, necessarily wild to say that they could sustain this. But here's, um, here's some pieces that I find very interesting about their game. So they currently have the lowest NBA three-point attempt percentage, meaning they shoot less threes per possession than any other team in the NBA, which I find to be a little surprising given CJ McCollum. Um, God, I'm blanking on names right now, but um, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, like all the, like they have a lot of guys who can shoot it, which is um, proved out by their fourth in three-point percentage at 39.6%. Oddly enough, C.J. McCollum, 24.2% from three, which would be a career low by a mile. I'm sure that will be turned around. But I think the most unique thing about C.J. McCollum's season so far is he's averaging eight eight assists per game. And the really interesting thing about that is until last season, the back half playing with New Orleans, he'd never averaged more than five in a game. He'd gotten 4.8, 4.7, had never averaged over five. Back half of last season playing with the Pelicans, he averaged 5.7. Now we're seeing him at eight per game. And Elkin, given the the situation 
with the New Orleans Pelicans and who are the creators for them? One being Brian Ingram, two Zion Williamson and CJ McCollum, those being like the three that really drive the offense. I look at CJ as the most competent and consistent with that. I think he's going to be the dude with the assist burden and he's holding up. And that's something I wasn't necessarily ready to see because he's a bit of an error, but pounds the air out of the ball. But we're seeing quicker decisions. We're seeing efficient um, offense presented through the entire team. That's why they're number one. I, I just look at this way this team's playing, and if they could just shoot a few more threes, maybe when they're at full strength, oh, man, they could run away with like having the best offense in basketball. Yeah, definitely. Just across the board, just this team, I feel like is just taking really smart shots. And then you look at, I mean, two-point percentage, uh, top is the one where like they struggle a little bit, but then like overall field goal percentage, we're doing good. Free throw percentage, it's a solid shooting team. And then there's looking at like you have Zion who was out for pretty much all of last year. He's coming in looking a little slimmed down, by the way. I know we saw the memes and people were like, oh, but I thought he was looking pretty slimmed down. Had a nasty fall, fell on his back. And I think I think the Pelicans were just taking a precaution with him. I mean, whenever you have a player who was gone for that long, but like the games that I've seen him in, even him being rusty is still a guy who's almost shooting 50% and he's still getting you 20 points a game. So this is a team where I'm just like, I would not be surprised if they go ahead and keep themselves competitive and make it into the playoffs. And they have every reason to be competitive. Whereas some teams might be like, oh, we shouldn't be competitive. This is the year to tank. They don't have to worry because there's another team that they can kind of switch picks with if that team does worse than them. And they can be like, oh, we'll grab your draft pick if you guys do worse than us, which I'm just like, all right. And I've just been liking, I mean, we, Herbert Jones, we love ourselves, Herbert Jones, Trey Murphy doing his thing. And sometimes, by the way, this is a, I got to watch out because I see Trey Murphy. And sometimes in my mind, I keep bringing up Troy Murphy, but they are not the same, definitely not the same guy. Very different, very different guys. People don't know about uh, Pacers legend, Troy Murphy. Go look him up. He is a typical Pacers player, as I like to call it. We love that type of grit over here in Indiana, but I I love like I just I was just looking up I was like let me look up because you brought up CJ McCollum shooting like a career low in three point and then I have Trey Murphy here bringing balance to the world sixty one point five percent on five attempts per game which I'm like it won't last but I'm just like he's probably still going to be doing good when all is said and done and and overall Ethan like you like this team and I think I like the pieces when you have like a Brandon Ingram. Zion Williamson there, and this is another team that I feel like you have like some young pieces you can build on, and I think their coaching is very good. And I'm just like, hey, you guys may not pass the ball a lot to each other as far as like get assists. I mean, they may get like a lot of hockey assists, maybe or like maybe it's more of like the dribble, like give it to a guy and then he does a few dribbles and gets to where he needs to go, which takes away the assist. But I think like watching them, this is a, I don't know if you had a chance to watch them on league pass or anything, but this is one of those teams that I enjoy watching on league pass. Yeah, undoubtedly. They have a lot of entertaining players when it comes up with some isolation gods and CJ and Brandon, you got Zion Williamson, which is, you know, just you know, it's freak show, but it's beautiful. But yeah, like, I, I, I also find joy in watching Najee Marshall, former Xavier player making it in the NBA. Like, Jonas Valanciunas bringing back the post game. The, the last thing I want to mention in regards to why they're number one in offense is they have the number one offensive rebound percentage because Jonas Valanciunas does stick around for the boards. He grinds it out for those. And like if that's one of those things that could fall back a little bit, 
maybe maybe that's where this this prediction doesn't hold true. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one thing. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one. Now I'm gonna flip over to my last reaction. Um, Cavaliers. I'm gonna keep it in the Central Division. Cavaliers are gonna be a top four team in the East when all said and done. Now the Mitchell edition, I think, if you want to go in and get a player who's Mitchell's age, I think you got to go for it if you're the Cavaliers. You're like, let's go ahead and be competitive for a a good few seasons without LeBron being here. I feel like a lot of their in recent history, a lot of their competitiveness has come from LeBron being on the team. But really, at this team right now, currently the best three-point shooting team in the league at 40, 41.7%. They don't, they're low in, in taking three-point shots, but overall, they're one of the better shooting teams in the league. And Donovan Mitchell, 31 points per game, which is kind of just like, hey, his pickup has been great for us. Darius Garland got that freaky eye injury in the first game of the season, but... This is why you have a player like Donovan Mitchell now, which is just like, hey, he'll pick up the slack. You have a guy like Karis LeVert, as much as we don't really love him here on the pod, but he's a guy who, like, if he goes off, then you know what? That's a commodity for you at that point. You're not going to be relying on him, but if he's going to have a game to go off, you're like, all right, go ahead, do your thing, go off. But I think overall, just looking at this team, not just offensively, but defensively, they've also been like, one of the top defensive teams. Like, that's the thing also, too, that I've been watching. And, and you brought up a good point, Ethan. Like, you said, like, off before we before we start recording off pod, you said, like, hey, this team has two guys that you can lean on heavily on defense with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Like, those two guys, because I'm going to be honest, like, Donovan Mitchell, even like a Karis LeVert and Darius Garland, they're not scaring me on the perimeter. But the thing is, when you have such like rim defenders who are smart rim defenders, like who aren't just going to like chase every block, but position themselves in the right place, which I'm just like for Evan Mobley, I'm always impressed. Cause I'm like, this guy's still pretty young. Like, I think that helps you out. And I, and I think they have good team defense going where they don't have like a lockdown perimeter defender. I mean, they do have Isaac Okoro still out there on the wing, but you don't have like, you don't have a bunch of like perimeter defenders. You got these guys. And I think like watching their highlights and seeing the rotation, I'm like, man, the rotations are really good on defense. And that's what helps them. Like they're able to recover really well because for me, I look at Allen and Mobley, you have guys who are super long. And then Mobley, if he gets switched out in the perimeter, I'm okay with that. If I'm, if I'm the Cavaliers coaching staff and Evan Mobley gets switched out, you're like, that's fine. Let him switch because he's, he's agile enough to deter the offensive player, force him into a bad shot where you're like, we'll take that. Go ahead, switch on, have him switch. So this is a team that I'm going to be looking at. I know they're in the Central Division, in the Pacers Division, but I'm just like, go ahead and win all those games. And I think there's a team that when it's all said and done, Ethan, I think we're looking at three or four. Top two, I don't have that much confidence in top two seed overall, but three or four for sure. Yeah, they they're gonna be right there. And when it when it comes down to it, we talked we talk about these bigs we did before we hit record. And when you have that kind of rim protection available to you, and not to mention like even a Robin Lopez like off the bench, I haven't I don't haven't he's played two games. I haven't seen any of his minutes this year. But historically, Robin Lopez has been a good rim protector as well. It's it just takes buy in from the other players. Even if you're a bad defender, you can close out hard. You can choose to. I'm not letting them go to the weak part of our defense. Like if not giving up baseline is the ticket easy. Like, like you can pick that side when you have that kind of protection behind you. 
if not giving up the middle is what the way this, the defense wants to run the scheme, that's fine. You can shut down one side of a player, even if they can get a relatively free lane to the other side. But whatever the defense, you know, the, the backline defense is asking, whatever the scheme is requesting, any, any NBA player can push you one direction. You might, that might, you know, said that might still result in open mid rangers or some a couple layups. But if you can scheme, you can scheme bad defenders in when you have guys like Allen and Mobley or, or Rudy Gobert for all the Jazz all those years. You can make a great defense with you know some spare parts by strategically sending them to the weak spots or to their, to their weaknesses. Was probably the way I should have phrased that. No, no, that makes sense. No, and that's the thing. Like I'm just like. And I, honestly, it's a team that I think it's like for me, I talk about watchability. There's a team where you watch it, like their whole cohesive unit. Like, I think a team that has, and this is an obvious thing to think, like this, I'm not bringing anything new to light. They're going to be like, oh, but a team that has this type of chemistry and team makeup and the way the roster is constructed, it's fun to watch that. Because you and I have both seen teams where you can tell that the roster just does not work together. Because when you see certain lineups together, you're like, what? what are the GM, what's the GM thinking or what's the coach thinking of this rotation? You're like, this is ugly basketball because these players don't complement each other, but they have a lot of complementing um, pieces. And for me, I know he's not going to wow a lot of people when he comes back, but I'm excited for Ruka Rubio. Once he gets healthy, finally comes back from that injury, he's the guy who I want as like my third guard coming off the bench because he's a guy who I view it as he's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to go and be like, I'm going to do a bunch of spectacular stuff, but he's not going to make mistakes when your main guards are out. And that's exactly what you want. He's, he's going to create shots and he's going to not shoot a absurdly low percentage. And now that you have Dar- Darius Garland and Mitchell, there's your closing guards. So Ricky Rubio doesn't have to be the mark to close games, you know, like, He's not going to be the guy who they forced to take that corner three like he was years ago for Utah or he had been for Minnesota or honestly any anywhere else he's ended up. He's always been the guy that is good enough to be in closing lines for these me- mediocre teams and thus you live and die with how good Ricky Rubio is shooting that day. And that's a dangerous spot to be in. Whereas now you have Mitchell, you have Garland. He's going to be great for the whole second quarter and for 10 minutes in the second half, and then you just let him relax, and you have two guards who can take you. I would say closing games out, like having Garland and Mitchell, That's that sounds like a really attractive pairing, especially when you have role guys like Mobley and Allen. Yeah. All right. That's it from our reactions, Ethan. I know you got one more that you want to bring up, though. I do. But before I do that, I want to say, so Karis LeVert, he's shooting 50 50- five percent from three if you think that's sustainable go ahead and and bet on it um he's shooting uh still with even with 55 percent from three he's shooting 37 percent from the field which so is wild to me he is shooting 24 percent from two that's all i gotta say the man is out over his head for three and he's only slightly under underwhelming me from two so again i don't i probably shouldn't hate on Karis LeVert. I'm sure he's a nice dude, but I don't like how he plays basketball, and thus I will not stand for any kind of slander towards my analysis when he's shooting 24% <laughs> from two. Yeah, I get you. 80% from free throw, though. That's good. 
All right, my last overreaction. I'm going to go to the Southeast Division and specifically talk about the Atlanta Hawks and who I would now, based on Miami Heat struggles, I would have to say Atlanta's looking like the most likely uh, candidate for that division, the woeful division that it's been most of my life. Um, so here's the stats, man. Um, Trey Young and Deontay Murray, how would they play together? All that's been the, the whole thing for the offseason. They, they bet on Deontay Murray to be that secondary offensive creator that can carry the team when they're on the bench, when, when uh, Trey's on the bench, but also play alongside Trey and help with the defensive problems that Trey Young, um, <laughs> obviously leaves present. So here's Trey Young's stats. The biggest thing I think I was worried about is, all right, I, as much as I don't like Trey Young, just because he ex- like kind of his, his steez, um, Trey Young's an incredible offensive player, and he's the driver of great offense. The Hawks have been great on offense every year he's been in the league. Trey Young's usage is up 2%. Up to, It's now 36%. That's slightly up over his career high of 34 the, the way he's getting that usage up, as we know, usage is shots and turnovers. Assists actually have nothing to do with that stat. Um, usage, is, so it's four more shots per game. It's two, or it's three two-point field goals and one three-point field goal. And his assists are equaling out. So this man is basically getting the exact same touches. He's shooting more, actually. Um, his per, points per game are up a couple. No big deal. His assists are the same. Um, so Good news, everyone. Trey Young is still Trey Young. He's not getting anything taken off his plate because of the Deontay Murray um, addition, which, again, it's very important because Trey Young was driving a top 10, top 5 offense every year of his career, basically. Um, you, you can't you can't mess that part up by adding an all-star. That, that part can't change. He has to still be that guy. Um, Deontay Murray, so far this year, he's shooting 38% from three. But his usage is down 3% from his lead guard role in San Antonio, which I actually think is not that big of a drop. I think that's the exact healthy drop. He's still getting a lot of his own mid-rangers. I've watched some of the Hawks games, and he's he is falling in love with the mid-ranger, which he's gotten better at over the years. Um, I would still like to see him get to the line more. He's shooting um, above 80% from free throw. He's got such length, I think. Him seeking some contact. Um, this is maybe the CJ McCollum complaint I've had over the years is you're so good at the free throw line. Don't go in there. You don't have to make every layup, but if you can get fouled for half of them, all of a sudden we're looking like getting a lot more points. So, John Day Murray, Trey Young, it, it's working out. The Hawks are good. I'm going to say the Hawks are going to win the Southeast Division. That's probably not so bold. It would be if the Heat had played any good basketball to start this season. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know that it's working. Those two are playing well. I need to actually pull up right now how the Hawks' defense has been overall, which is not a guard stat. It's not a, a individual player stat. It is a team stat. And let me see here. I mean, Points. they're pretty much seems like they're pretty much middle of the pack when it comes to defense. Yeah, wait, which is a big improvement. Yeah, we'll take big that. Big improvement. They're 17th in defensive rating. They're 8th in offensive rating for the season. So offensive rating still should be on the climb up. But I, I would say whatever this team's doing right now can be trusted to stick around offensively where there's a lot of teams that don't necessarily have the Trey Young engine that has the proven success. Like the Pelicans, as much as I think they will probably still be number one, um, they don't have that one dude who is proven year and year to provide high offense the Hawks are not going to be lower than 10th in the in, in the league in offense I'll, I'll, I'll say that every time as long as Trey Young <laughs> can dribble a basketball he's gonna 
have enough going on that they're not below 10th. And honestly, like, just watching, I mean, they... It's interesting. I mean, I feel like besides Trey Young, you don't really have a bunch of three-point shooters. In this, and then I'm, that made sense to me. I'm just like, this team shoots the most two-point shots out there in the league right now. They're, and then they shoot their 28th in three-point attempts. I'm like, well, might as well just do that, but don't fall in love with the mid-race jumper. I mean, I am interested to see. Now they have – I'm interested to see, like, development of one DeAndre Hunter, kind of seeing, like, where where is he at right now, 25 years old, I mean, for me, I'm just like, if you can develop, like, he's 39% three-point shooting, only on 3.8%. I'm just like, keep it going. And, Ethan, I'm still – maybe you can clarify this for me. It seems like John Collins isn't doing bad for them. But it's just like the last year and a half, I just keep hearing a lot of John Collins trade rumors. Like, is this team going to part with John Collins or is it just like he's our one of our future pieces? Because I feel like I'm still, I'm still not sure, even in Clint Capella. But definitely John Collins is the one guy here, like – He's probably going to be traded. He's not happy with the offense. That's what I keep hearing. The, the, the way we have to look at it is that Atlanta's just never fallen in love with John Collins. He's put up great numbers. And even right now with a, like, I would say slightly down production because he's shooting the three ball not well. Like, I would say he's a 36% shooter and he's shooting 30. Um, he's at 14 points per game and nine nine and a half rebounds. Like, the guy's a great, great offensive player and he's gotten better at defense every year and that's one of those things that because he's always talked about his getting traded I feel like people haven't acknowledged or realized how much better defense he's gotten um but yeah it's hard it's hard to know what they want because like they have Clint Capella they have Aneka Kongwu both guys are you know that more of the tr- traditional screen and roll like good rim protector st- style John Collins shows that he can do a little bit more offensively and it's almost like because they have Trey Young like actually we don't really care that you can because Trey Young's the one who runs everything out here and that's okay because he does such a good job but yeah I would like to see John Collins elsewhere just because I think he could be a big help to a lot of teams that have some problems with creation like I'm I, right now like basketball reference is running Hornets highlights on my on my screen and the Hornets are going to be tanking but I'm like man I, I bet I bet John Collins got a lot of fun in that offense and, you know, like put him at starting center instead of Mason Plumlee. And you might like the Hornets might run every team out of the building in terms of just pace. They might also run themselves into the ground because, you know, some lack of efficiency with some of those players. But my goodness, that could be a fun little setup with Collins at the five and Oubre at the four. That's that sounds like a lot of up and down for Mr. LaMelo Ball when he returns. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. That's all. uh, just making stuff up. <laughs> but those are overreactions for the beginning of the season. Who's been interesting to see what happens when we finally get to the end of the season, if how much of this will play out. I think actually, I'm actually confident in our overreactions. Where is that sounds? I'm, I'm eerily confident that these might not be overreactions. This might just be like, this is how things are going to be barring any like drastic trade or injury. These, this is it. Well, yeah, we're the ones who came up with the milk and I'd hope we believe in them a little bit. <laughs> No, I got you. That makes sense. 